grad student. This week, the podcast is going where it's never gone before. Actually, that's a lie. We're going to cover a lot of topics that I've sort of already covered, but like in different ways. What I really mean is this week is a double header and you're probably like, wow, Alana, so fancy. No, actually what happened is that I went on vacation for like 11 or 12 days and I accidentally got off schedule and then I was coming back from vacation and I was trying to get back on schedule in like 50 different areas of my life. And as you all know, PhD has to come first. So... Lucky for me, I did make the next two episodes sort of on the same theme, uh, sort of in a series of two, so I'm going to release both of them this week. This is the first episode. It is with a friend of mine from high school, Rob slash Robbie. You will see why I say that in the episode. And if you're somebody I know from high school who is listening to this, because I know a lot of people from high school will be listening to this. Hello, I hope you enjoy the podcast. Did you know I have podcast merch and that you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash deargradstudent? Well, now you do. Just a reminder that Pride Month is just a few weeks. If you want to support Dear Grad Students raising money to donate to an LGBTQ fund, you can head on over to deargradstudent.com slash LGBTQIA. There is merch for every different kind of identity, and there is special Pride Month merch coming soon, so stay tuned. We are also winding down to the end of this semester and the end of the podcast until fall semester. If you have enjoyed the podcast this semester or this year, thank you so much. There are Dear Grad Student stickers and sweatshirts and mugs that I think would be perfect heading into the new year. But also, if there's a new student coming into your lab or if there are people that you think would benefit from listening to me talk to people that I found on the internet, please send them this podcast or go check out the merch at deargradstudent.com slash merch. All right, without further ado, let's head into today's episode. Today's episode is all about finding direction and fighting loneliness with third year PhD student, Rob Kaufman. Hello listeners, welcome back to your favorite grad school podcast, Dear Grad Student, the podcast where grad students can come together to celebrate, commiserate, and support one another through this long and difficult journey. I'm Alana. I'm a fifth-year doctoral candidate and your host, and I'm joined today by a third-year PhD student studying human-computer interactions with AI and decision-making, and someone who I grew up with and went to middle school and high school with, Rob Kaufman. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me. Did you notice how unnatural it was for me to call you Rob? Did you like feel, I felt pain. Yeah, it's, it's sort of funny. It's like a, it's a clash of my old self and my new self. I mean, from yes. you, it, you should be calling me Robbie, but like, that's right. Like no one would know who that is. Like, no, I, I know that's know right. I know you, you could like tell people in your life, like I was on a podcast and be like, no, this Robbie guy was like, wh- <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. So everyone listening, Rob slash Robbie and I, did we go to elementary K through 12? K we through 12. Yeah. Okay. So I've known you since first grade then. Everyone called you Robbie until college and I haven't seen you since we graduated high school. So I'm non-consensually calling you Rob now that you're like an adult man and go by Rob. But if I slip up throughout this interview, we're talking about the same person. So welcome. How does it feel to be on my podcast? Are you surprised that I'm a podcaster? No, not in the slightest. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it it sort of aligns perfectly with the person that I knew nine years ago. Uh Uh-huh. Extremely talkative, extremely excited, extremely... (laughs) (laughs) 
extremely uh, ready to share your opinions Mm -hmm. and hear about other people's opinions. No, it makes perfect sense. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. High energy. Wow, that's really funny. Honestly, I'm like, you just like really perfectly described me. I feel very seen and I'm also somewhat surprised. Why would I'm very readable though, so I guess it, I shouldn't be that surprised. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense for you and <laughs> it's kind of cool. I like it. Thank you. you know. Okay, so it's so so now I'm cool. That's you know what? That's good. I will take it. Yeah, I you know, it's interesting because when I was thinking about planning this episode, I was like, how do I describe my relationship with you? I was like, well, we were like friends, but we weren't like in the same circles and like for at least a year, I don't know if it was middle, I think it was in middle school. I think I had a crush on you, but I don't know. We were just friends the whole time. Right. Were we friends? We weren't in the same circles. I was like, I don't. I mean, we were, we were friends. We were, especially around like the middle school time. Like we were. Yes. Like right around the time that we had laptops and everyone was super excited about AIM. Like you and I would always be chatting on AIM. And I think there was like a video. Was there video AIM at that point? I don't know, but I did those YouTube videos for a while and people did Skype. People would like Skype. Maybe it was Skype. Yes. AIM like grew into Skype and people would like log on to Skype and chat with people and then like video chat with like who you were really close friends with. And it was like a thing. Yeah. Because I remember constantly talking with you on AIM and Skyping and all of that stuff that really doesn't exist anymore. No, not at all. Yeah, that's so funny. I guess I like forget how much because again, like we didn't hang out very much outside school, but you're right. We talked all the time. Right. I think I've been to your house once. I have this like memory of like this one time we maybe were working on a project and I was at your house and I met your mom, but like once. So I have like a similar memory, but it had nothing to do with a project (laughs) and it was on Halloween. So I'm not sure if what? I, just, I don't know. I've got some memory. Did we do Halloween together? I think we trick or treated like around that time when we were oh my like, gosh. too old to be trick or treating, but we wanted was it with, candy and was it with Jake? Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Yes. Jake, yeah. Oh it was my like gosh. around that area. Yes. Like around the what do we call it? The oval or whatever. Yes. That, we, like, that must have been like 11th or 12th grade. Yeah, yeah. Like, way too old to be trick Way too late. Like, like, yes. per, like, we should be, like, at a party. But we were like, no, but I'm going to, I, I want tr- chocolate. So we're going <laughs> to But do also, it. like, we were, like, I was definitely not partying in high school. Whereas, like, a lot of my friends at that time were. So that was also, like, oh, we're not going to go to a party. That would be, like, stupid. Let's trick or treat was really me being, like, I wasn't invited to a party because no one invites me to parties because I don't party. So instead, I'll trick or treat and be, like, this is definitely, like, what I want to do. Like, I'm choosing this. Like, I'm a trick or treater. Like, it's cool. So I was just a candy. and Like, I did right. party, but I just wanted candy. Like, I was just, like, <laughs> an enthusiast for candy. Oh, my gosh. So really... Me feeling insecure about the fact that I didn't party convinced you and at least Jake that trigger shooting was a good, fun idea uh, and you were sold. I mean, there were several of us. Were there? Okay, I yeah. feel much better about this memory, but I don't remember anyone else but you and Jake. Yeah, no, uh, Sam was there, Nikki was, was there, she? Austin was there, Wu Young was there. Like everyone, really? that lived in, everyone that lived in that area was there hanging out, yeah. I also have a memory of a Halloween party at Sam's house. Were you with that? I'm sure I probably was. Yeah. I have vague memories of many different Halloweens. Yes, yes. Well, Rob slash Robbie, I haven't committed. I'll figure it up at the end. It is amazing to have you on this podcast. And I don't know if this is true, but you're the only other person in our class that's that I know of that's getting a PhD, but I'm sure there's others. But it's great to have you on the podcast. And I don't, I'm not going to do a social media shout out. Rob is not on social media. Most of my listeners come from academic Twitter. Some come from academic Instagram. You're on neither. 
Is that like a stance that you've taken or you just like haven't gotten around to it? It's not really a stance necessarily. I suppose it's a little bit just that I'm very, very mindful of my time. I have a lot of hobbies. I have a lot of work commitments. I have a lot of things that I like to do. Yes, I have to take care of my garden. I mean, my garden takes my time. (laughs) And so it's just sort of like, it's that I'm careful with my time. And I also understand the ramifications of overuse of social media right. such that I really strongly limit my time on social media. And so right. because of that, I've never really felt any sort of motivation to join Instagram or join Twitter or do any sure. of these sort of ways that people connect mm-hmm. because frankly, it just, it doesn't serve the way that I like to live. Right. I prefer to call people and text people and connect in other ways. Yeah, that makes total sense. Also, like, I don't know, you seem very earthy now. You're like, yeah, I love my social media use. I grow limes. Like, I have a lot of hobbies. Like, I have things to do. I'm like, I'm happy for you. I haven't even told you about a little kombucha factory. No, shut up. Honestly, I I couldn't be less surprised (laughs) than I am right now. And I'm also very jealous because I'm a very big kombucha fan. But why don't we tell the listeners a little bit about your research background? I think whenever... I have a topic like the one we're going to be talking about today, which is changing fields, finding your direction. It's really important to put you in your context so that people kind of get what you do in general. So what are you in grad school for? What's your thing? What's your interest broadly or specifically, if you know that most people don't, I don't. (laughs) Yeah, it's an interesting question and it's an ever evolving question, I think. Yeah. But the vague generalities. So I'm in a cognitive science program. So Mm -hmm. all of my work generally focuses on how people think and behave. And then more specifically, my research is focused on human-computer interaction and human-AI collaboration within complex systems. Mm -hmm. And so essentially, my job is to figure out how people think and to use this to change the way systems are designed. So my particular niche is that a lot of my work focuses on the area of trust. Mm. So essentially, how can we design systems that are trustworthy so that people can rely on them? That's really interesting. And the first thing that came to my mind, even though you might not have any experience with this, is like racism and AI, like algorithms that aren't racist because math isn't racist, but maybe the person programming them. Like I think about hospital systems that will use AI to make decisions on like priority of different things. And just simply because the healthcare system is racist, it prioritizes patients in a way that is not actually equal, even though that was the goal of the AI in the first place. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's it. And it's a huge bias in AI is a huge area and it's bias and that comes from a lot of different directions. I mean, one direction is, you know, the programmer, everyone is going to be biased in some way, even if you try to limit it. So the, Mm -hmm. the programmer will be biased. Then you also have biased data sets and the the data sets that you are training your models on. If you're not getting representation from all sorts of different opinions and perspectives and diverse groups, depending on what you're trying to direct your algorithm to do, then the output of the algorithm, what it considers a ground truth, might not be representative for all people. So yeah, yeah, bias in AI is definitely huge. Yeah, And the research that I do is sort of tangential to it where it's trust in AI decisions. And I did do some work in healthcare and it sort of is trying to take diversity into account, but from Mm -hmm. the user's perspective. Mm. So essentially you've got AI systems that come up with certain decisions and in general, the systems are pretty good. Like for example, you've got radiology AI systems that are really good at identifying lung nodules Mm. uh, and saying that they are cancerous. Oh, And they're pretty good at doing this. And there's, you know, some local 
medical systems that are even better than radiologists. But the idea is that a lot of people don't trust these systems, no matter how good they are, Yeah, because they don't know what sort of biases it may have. They don't know mm-hmm. if it came from a biased data set. They don't know if- How the, is it making decisions? Machines can't think, right? All of that stuff. Right. Totally. Totally. So my focus on that is We've got different people that are using and interacting with these systems. How do we take an understanding of how they think and how they differ right? and then build systems that are adaptive that can meet them where they need it? So I think that this is fascinating. I also feel like this is just where my mind went. Roll with me here. So like... A hundred years from now, when humans and robots are like in their civil war, you're like priming the humans to trust the robots to be mind controlled, like all of that. Like you're basically like, no, trust (laughs) them. Everything is fine. Like that's what it, it sounds like you want to convince us that AI and machine learning can make decisions that we can trust. And that's going to lead maybe to the world being taken over by robots, but maybe I'm biased. (laughs) I don't know. Do you ever think about that? Like, oh, totally. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and you're not, you're not the first person that's brought up to me. Oh, good. Making AI systems more human and personable and trustworthy could go terribly wrong. And so a lot of my focus is not about necessarily building trust in the positive direction every time, but building appropriate trust, as in knowing when you shouldn't trust, knowing when the system is not going to make the right decision, and then preparing you so that you can navigate it or make your own decision and take back control. Right. So it it really is like true decision-making in that way. It's like trust neutral. It's that there is trust on either side of the spectrum of the right thing has happened or the wrong thing has happened. Right. Because the case is right now, the systems are more trustworthy than we give them credit for. Mm. So a lot of the work is building up the human side to make people trust the system. Well, and it probably slows down the science when people don't trust them. Well, right. And it slows down adaption of the systems. Mm. But on the other side of it, you don't want to go too far and you don't want people to over-rely on what an AI system will do because you're never going to have a perfect AI system. You have to empower people to be their own decision makers They can use AIs as assistance to make good decisions, but they have to be empowered such that they can take back control and be the decision makers should the AI fail. Uh, Last question on your research. Are you a tech bro then? (laughs) Absolutely not. Okay, good. I mean, no, you know, it's fine, but. (laughs) No, no tech broiness from me. Okay. I suppose I am tech bro tangential where I. I mean, you are off social media. You grow limes. You're making kombucha. I just watch out, you know, it's a slippery slope. Slippery slope. Yeah. I actually asked a friend what defined what a tech bro was the other day because I wasn't entirely sure. And based on their definition, I don't think I'm a tech bro. Okay. I do feel like a lot of tech bros make a shitload of money. So I feel like that at a baseline, you're humbled. As a grad student, like at a baseline. True. You're humbled. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel. Ask me again post PhD, but for now, no. I will, because I'm sure that will not be the case. I feel like the area that you're going into is so important. I know before you were talking about like you've had interviews with Facebook and like different companies, like that's where they're all headed. So what you do is incredibly, incredibly impressive. And so today's episode is really going to be focusing on changing fields and finding direction. And I know that you have changed interest areas, but it's actually one of two episodes coming out on this topic. But today's episode is also going to talk about the human side of all of that, right? Fighting loneliness, even leveraging tough times and tough things like PTSD to promote growth in life. So I want to start by talking about sort of your journey to grad school. I know that before we started recording, you mentioned that we were both inspired by the same age 
AP class in high school to go into psychology. Tell me a little bit about that and then tell me, you know, the journey since. It's been a really interesting journey and I've hopped between many different fields, but each time that I hop between fields, I sort of, I learn something else about myself. I learn something else about mm. the field and the world. And then I take that mm -hmm. and, and move to the next thing. And every time I get yeah. a little bit closer to what feels right to me. Mm -hmm. So yes, it all started. <laughs> I suppose my, this whole journey started in the AP psychology class that you and I did together, yep. where yep. essentially I spent the entire class goofing around. And really yeah. what it did was it created this positive association between psychology and fun. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, I was like, oh, I love this field. It's great. It's exciting. I'm going to try studying this in undergrad. But mm -hmm. I did it in, I wasn't necessarily interested in pure psychology at that time. I was more interested in neuroscience and, and the neuroanatomy and pharmacology and, and all of that. So mm -hmm. when I first started in undergrad, I started, I majored in neuroscience. And then at some point, I think about my second or third year, I added psychology in as a second major so I could get like a fuller picture of how the mind works. Sure. And at the time I was pretty interested in like alternative psychopharmacology. Oh. Uh, and some of this came from like a rejection of drugs. Like I had a lot of friends who were just for various mental health issues, were just given tons of drugs by their neurologist or psychiatrist mm -hmm. or whoever it was. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it works for some of them. It's clearly not working for others. Like, are there alternatives to how we can affect change with mental health? Yeah. And so I started thinking about that. And actually the way that I manifested this interest at first wasn't with mental health per se, but it was just with cognitive functioning. And I did it in a food science lab. I was like, okay, what else can I do to help change the way people think and feel? Well, you know, food, food <laughs> and pharmacology, food and pharmacology. Yeah. It's like, there's some really interesting stuff here. Let me try to dig deeper. And so yeah. I started running studies on food and aroma and how that could change cognitive functioning. Wow. Um, so I'd like lock people in rooms, film with different aromas, make them do math problems. <laughs> And see what happened. Oh my it was actually, God. it was interesting. My experiments, some of them worked. Whoa. Like lavender, the people in my lavender condition where I pumped them in a room full of lavender aroma, they were better at doing math problems than are, the people in other conditions. Are you like the science behind essential oils? Is that who I'm talking Absolutely to not. right now? <laughs> oh my God. No, actually, I chose that problem specifically because, because I got so annoyed <laughs> at people that made these claims about essential oils. I was like, Okay, you walk through Bath and Body Works, you've got this calming lotion. I'm like, it's not backed up by anything. Oh my God. So I, that's how I chose that particular study is like, I'm going to try to put some science here. I love all of this because I feel like just how, when I asked you if you're surprised that I podcast, like I couldn't be less surprised that like, this is who you have evolved into and how, like, like I'm hearing you talk about like, yeah, I just got really angry about essential oil. So I started to fight it with science. I'm like, like, of course you fucking did. Like that is, <laughs> that tracks so well. Yeah. So then you were in this area of all of that and pivoted, changed, because you're very much in like a coding AI world now. How did that transition happen? Right, right. So food science, yes. pharmacology, neuroscience, psychology. Yes. This was all my undergrad. Okay. And I sort of, I was doing all this work and I was like, okay, this is cool. Uh, but it sort of made me realize that I like this idea of using something in the world, like a thing, a behavior to change the way someone can think. Mm -hmm. So at that time I was using aromas to change the way someone could think. Right. But 
I was also at that period in my life doing a lot of yoga and meditation. Mm-hmm. And so I started to think, okay, how can I use yoga and meditation to like dig deeper into this theme mm. of like behavioral change, changing the way you think, the way you behave, the way you feel. Yeah. So when I graduated, I took a job at Harvard Medical School in Boston and I was working in a research lab that was doing neuroimaging with yoga and meditation. Yeah. And it was awesome. It was like my entire job was to do yoga, was to meditate and then run these research studies that yeah. were having other people do yoga and meditate. And then we'd put them in MRI scanners. We'd have them do all sorts of tests and we'd see the changes. And I remember when you took that job, I think you posted on Facebook about it, maybe when you took that job or something. I remember seeing somewhere that you got it and being really surprised because that is kind of where my interest started with what I do, because I do stress in the immune system. Mm. So I'm not in the brain as much, but I'm like peripheral immune stuff and immune markers like that is my thing. So it's actually quite close to what I do, which was, again, surprising. Yeah, it is sort of funny. And I guess the longer that I've worked and especially as I've jumped between areas, Mm -hmm. the more I've realized that like the questions that are being asked by one particular group are often very similar to the questions being asked by a different group. It's just, they have a different framing and they might use different words, different jargon, but really there's a lot of harmony if you move between areas enough. And so I'm not surprised in the slightest that you were in the same area that I was. Harmony. (laughs) So you take this job in Boston right? and you're just like very casually working at Harvard Medical Center. Like it's fine. And then what? Well, so I was, I was doing neuroscience research, right? So I'm like, I was in the MRI. I was looking at brain scans. I was doing all right. of these things that are hands-on with the brain. Mm-hmm. And I was there for a couple of years and I started just getting a little antsy, I suppose. Yeah. I want to be a little bit more hands-on and applied. I, I wanted to, really what it was is I wanted to build things and I wanted to like create change that was a little bit more tangible, I guess I could say. Yeah. So at that point, my brother, who was an architect, he's now a UX designer, but at that time he was getting his master's degree in architecture. He was working on a team trying to figure out how to design communities for people with autism. Mm. And we were talking about this and I was like, oh, this is really cool. And he asked me, he's like, do you want to join my team as a researcher and mental health consultant? Like we could use your perspective. It's a different perspective than what we have. And I was like, sure, totally. And so I I joined up. And so it was a really cool collaboration of scientists and designers and city planners. and, And then also the individuals with autism and their caregivers all working together to figure out solutions of community design. Wow. And, uh, you know, I was doing this while I was simultaneously working at Harvard. And so there was a couple of times where I flew back and forth between Ohio and Boston. And Oh, yes. Very, very casual. (laughs) What was really remarkable about it to me was that this was the first time I'd ever sort of combined my area of interest in the brain with an actual design problem. Yeah. Like before I had sort of done it in a peripheral sense, but this is the first time that I had ever actually worked with a design team. Right. And that's sort of was the the catalyst that changed my perspective. And I, and I decided, okay, I don't want to stick with neuroscience anymore. I love this whole mind stuff. I love this whole brain stuff. It's awesome. It's great, but I need to be 
digging into design. I need to be building things. I need to be yeah. working with my hands a little bit. Applying it. Yeah. And so, and, and at the time, you know, my brother and I were also working on a small startup, building like web infrastructure and things That's like that. That's not doing good for your tech bro status. Watch out. No, I'm, <laughs> still, I'm kidding. Keep going. Well, <laughs> we, uh, we, we sort of let it drop after a little while. We built some sure. stuff. It was cool. It was a great experience. And then we both decided that we wanted to move past it. Sure. So it was a really great experience. We were really excited to do it. And then we moved on. And that yeah. especially because that was time for me to go to grad school. Yeah. And so when I was choosing a grad program, the reason that I moved from this neuroscience area into the design area into a cognitive science program is because I was trying to, to figure out exactly what program would serve me as I'm looking into this niche of brain meeting design. Yeah. And there's this whole field called human-centered design. Yes. Which uh, in many ways is exactly this, Mm -hmm. especially with the perspective of cognition, which is, you know, why I'm in a cognitive science program. Right. And so I found who the founder of the field was. I was reading about, I was reading books. I was, you know, trying to educate myself in the area. The founder of the field, or at least I guess we can call him one of the founders, uh, was this man called Don Norman, who came from University of California, San Diego, cognitive science department. And I was like, that's pretty cool. That's great. Oh, they currently have a design lab. That's awesome. So I applied and I talked to some professors and it just, it ended up working out. Yeah. And so now that's the program that I work in. I work in Mm -hmm. the design lab and that's sort of where I am now, where I've sort of- Do you like it? Yeah, it's, I do like it. I mean, even, I guess there's, there's this major theme here of like, Throwing myself into an area, figuring out what I like, figuring out what I don't like, and then using that to guide my next move. Yeah. And so that sort of moved me from neuroscience to food science to mm-hmm. neuroimaging to design to cognitive science and design, like all that. It sort of moved me around places. Yeah. And it's not as if that moving is done. It's just, it's happening in sort of smaller loops now. Yeah. So I love what I'm doing, but I'm not settled. I love you know, that you I, said it in smaller loops, like you're talking in AI language of like, you're just getting more and more <laughs> precise as you go. But I actually like love this story because I think another theme is like the flexibility of it all. I think that a lot of people, and I'm definitely one of them, we like to get on a road and stay on that road, not because we don't like to be flexible, but because structure is comforting. And so to be able to be flexible and be like, oh, okay, I still like this thing, but I need to move and evolve in it in some way. Being flexible to do that, being open to doing that and kind of letting yourself float around into the direction that, again, like you said, smaller and smaller loops gets you more and more precisely into whatever it is that you, you know, the core, the center, the quote unquote end point, it's not really an end, but, you know, the next step on the ladder. I think that a lot of people are resistant to change because it's scary. Did you find that it was scary or stressful? Like telling the story now, it sounds like, yeah, I very confidently without any stress just continued to do this. But was there any fear, hesitation, wondering if the next thing would be the right next thing? Any of that? Oh, constantly. Okay, good. Con- yeah. Constantly. You're just like checking yeah, if you're every hitting. point. Okay. At every single point. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and and it's something that I still struggle with to this moment. I mean, it's sort of like this. Well, I guess a lot of the stress comes, like you said, from switching from something certain and something directed and something that you can sort of step by step follow mm-hmm. into the unknown. And every time I jumped into the unknown, there was risk involved. You know, I moved across the country twice. Right. I moved into areas that I thought might work out, but it was very possible, and as did many times, that I jumped into an area only to find that it didn't actually fit as well as I wanted it to. Mm-hmm. And 
it was very stressful to deal with that uncertainty because at any point, the next step was sort of up in the air. It was sort of this question of, I'm here in a place now and it's not perfect. It's not serving me. So what do I do next to make it serve me better? Right. And it takes, I suppose, I suppose it took a lot of introspection. It took a lot of figuring out what I like, figuring out what I don't like, and then trying to learn as much as I could about other areas to see what might fit better. And so it was just this constant iteration, this constant loop, like I said, of what will bring me out of the uncertainty Mm -hmm. and what will be a better fit. But at the end of it, it's it's also just I've become comfortable with uncertainty because it has become my friend. It has become something that has helped. And I think for so many of us, especially like in this grad school route where we've just dealt with so much, I think, and I've been calling it like my mid-20s renaissance, but I also feel like it's just like part of growing up. In a way, like growing up, we know, okay, you're in you're in high school and because where we grew up, everyone just went to college and it was just like a lot of things were, okay, this is next, this is next. We just kind of knew when we're thrown into that uncertainty, you just kind of adapt and get used to it or drop off. And not to say like dropping off, quote unquote, might just mean you pick something and then you stick with it because it's too much uncertainty. But like if we're still at it at this point, it's like a given. And the reason I say this is like people listening who are like struggling with the uncertainty, like, I don't know, the sooner you can get used to the discomfort, I feel like the sooner it can serve you because you you can't avoid the discomfort. I feel like you have to reflect and look back on it in order to use it properly to propel forward and not just end up in an equally non-serving adjacent thing. And you know, something else that you had brought up about wanting to talk about in this episode, and I think this is a good time to bring it up, is the idea of like life was still happening in all of this and like loneliness and just like being a human goes on as we're moving across the country, as we're doing all these things. Tell me a little bit about that because you know, there's a huge part of this podcast is like not just how to do grad school, but like the bullshit that goes on at the same time that like people don't talk about. Right. Right. Yeah. And I I definitely resonate with what you're saying about becoming comfortable with uncertainty Mm -hmm. in general. Yeah. In many ways, the uncertainty, it's, I suppose when it comes to the uncertainty itself, I mean, part of it is just, yes, it's the acknowledgement that things are uncertain and it's, One thing to say that, you know, just learn to deal with it. But I think moving beyond just learning to deal with it is to remember that these narratives that we tell ourselves about life being some sort of easy to follow path are just frankly not true. Yes. And so it's not just that uncertainty is a thing that we have to deal with as grad students, but it's just a fact of life. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as we break away from these narratives that there's one particular path to follow, then uncertainty becomes in many ways opportunity. And we can start looking at these things that feel uncertain in our lives and say, okay, things are uncertain. And because of that, I can make changes in my life that serve me in ways that I hadn't thought about before in ways that were not part of this predetermined narrative. Yeah. And so it sort of can help. Yeah. It reminds me of when I was a therapist and I would talk a lot about like, usually that unknown or that fear of the unknown, like that's information for you. Like it can be scary because of its implications, but that doesn't have to, you know, it's fear isn't necessarily a bad emotion. It just gives you information. So figure out what you can use 
from what you have in front of you. And I think a lot of it, I mean, you know, you do mindfulness work. So I'm immediately like, I mean, you just, you have to approach these emotions. And I think that that can be part of the discomfort and it can be scary, but I could tell you for a fact, as a former therapist, you can't move forward if you don't approach it. So avoiding it will get you nowhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, and that brings you into this, this whole idea of loneliness, especially when there's uncertainty around you, when you're perhaps on a non-traditional route or you're switching between areas or essentially it can be really easy to feel isolated or as if other people don't understand your journey or your struggles. And I've definitely felt that before. And I think some of it is just the acknowledgement that pretty much every path is non-traditional. I mean, some people may follow what on the outside looks like a very easy to follow narrative. But on the inside, they're likely still struggling with some sort of decision at different points as they move forward. And, and it's sort of, it's different for everybody, but I think everybody yeah. in some way, especially in grad school, yeah. feels alone. And, you know, in some ways though, just like with uncertainty, feeling mm-hmm. alone can present a lot of opportunity. It presents us with the chance to connect with the world Make in a different podcast. ways. Make a podcast. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's sort of funny. Yeah. You know, I, I suppose <laughs> it's hard to talk about feeling alone as an academic in grad school without acknowledging that as grad students, we're also human beings and just people. Yeah. And so when we're in grad school, we're entering into this new area of life. And that often means literally a new area. Like, like we're physically moving away from our support networks. We're physically in a different place, or at least we're spending a lot of our time in a different area with different people that we've never met. So in that way, having to reset your social network, having to find new friends, feeling as though you don't have this safety net can be really difficult. And then of course Mm -hmm. the pandemic has certainly not helped. It's so interesting because when you had said that you wanted to bring up loneliness and talk about this, A, I was thrilled because really that is like what this podcast is, is here to address, right? In just different areas and in different ways. But it's interesting because like I have never from the outside ever thought of you as a lonely person. Like in my mind, even when I think back on like my, I don't know, memory of you in middle school and high school, like you always were with like your little, I don't know, the Rat Pack. Like you guys just were like your buddy group. Like you were always just doing things together. You guys were solid. You guys were friends. And it's not like you were so, so, so social, but you just were a connected child, if you will. I don't know. You just like you had friends. And I think it just really goes to say, like, this really doesn't even have anything to do with, like, the people surrounding you. I mean, I live in the state of Kentucky. Like, I don't relate to many people who live here. I don't like country music. I don't like bourbon. uh, I don't like horses. So there's, like, I miss out on, like, most of the social events and things that are held here and the hobbies. And so, like, it has been super lonely, even though I'm a very social person and and I have a lot of friends. You know, being far away from people is no joke. It's no joke. Yeah, it's. Being far away from people, it's sort of like that mantra that is repeated that you could be lonely in a crowded room. It's all about the way that you connect with those around you. And it's sort of funny to think about because I suppose I've sort of approached my own loneliness in the same way that I've approached the uncertainty surrounding what I want to do in terms of a research field, which is sort of just in many ways, diving into something, seeing if it feels right figuring out if I connect with either a group of people or an activity, and then taking that, those lessons and and moving into a new area. So it's like, for example, 
finding a like-minded person and taking initiative to say like, Hey, like, let's go grab a drink or let's go play basketball or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then because of this, because of keeping myself open to new opportunities and new people, I've been able to connect with people that I never, ever thought I would. Yeah. And do things that I never thought I would enjoy. Mm-hmm. Like for when I first moved to San Diego, I was just going to ask. I'm so glad you're giving an example. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Like I started spearfishing. No, you did. Oh moved. my God. Yes, I did. It was like, it was like, I had never even considered of course you did. this idea that like, first of all, I was always against killing animals, I suppose. Like it just in general, like I wasn't like, I've never liked the idea of hunting. Right. I've never really liked the idea yeah, of fishing. That was not really a thing. But then I met this person and we connected on a number of levels, including just, we had instant rapport and he invited me out to go spearfishing with him. And so I was like, okay, great. Let's give this a try. And then it ended up really enjoying it. And I started spearfishing, you know, I started going out, like I would be swimming like at night in the ocean with like a tiny little flashlight hunting lobster and hunting I guess there's all sorts of fish out there, but catching fish and bringing them home to cook. I and it's fun. This is you could have had me guess 100 times what hobby it was that you were going to say. I don't think I would have landed on spearfishing, but on the same coin, if you would have asked me senior year of high school who would be spearfishing in 10 years, you would definitely be in the top five list of that. That is amazing. Also, I feel like have you seriously considered about ever going on the show Survivor? Because. <laughs> I feel like that's an important skill. I it probably I've never considered going on the show Survivor. I've always been a little bit skeptical of the show, to be honest. Like it feels like the show, really? yeah, like they turn off the camera and they just go to Holiday Inn or something. Oh like just, no like, I've way! Never, I've never trusted that they were actually the guy that studies trust doesn't trust the show Survivor. Okay. The show Survivor, like the least. Are really? Well, I could tell you what I would need to know in order to trust the oh, show I Survivor. See. So this maybe is- we just need to call Jeff. We'll call Jeff, the host of Survivor. We'll just ask him a few questions. It just it- or maybe go on it. You can fight it with science. Listen, go on it. Take some notes. Report back. Your findings, All right. you know. That sounds good. I'll do a scientific you approach just, to survive. Yeah, tell them that you grow lime trees, make kombucha, and spearfish, and be like, you need me. And then that's it. You'll, <laughs> you'll be good. You know, it's funny because I just recently got into watching Survivor. Over the pandemic, my boyfriend and I watched all 40 seasons. We never seen an episode. So it's just like always at the front of my mind. Have you done any other weird hobbies? I mean, I don't know if I... That's Not that's weird. I'm also, sorry. It's not weird. It's absolutely fantastic. I just mean like other ones that like... Like, what else do you do? I don't know anything well, about you as a man. <laughs> it's sort of funny. I mean, and I actually love that you use the word weird because I think that's sort of the point, right? Is yes. you have to figure out what you enjoy. Yeah. And it's maybe something that is way off the beaten path of what you think you are going to enjoy. And so, for example, like right now, I'm taking a ceramics class. I'm because of course you are. at a time. Oh my God. I'm spending hours at a time at the potter's wheel. I'm I'm sitting there. I've learned how to mold plates and bowls and cups and all. It's great. It's yeah, awesome. Yeah. I never in, the, in my life thought I would like be in the potter's wheel with me and a bunch of like elder ladies, you know, but it's great and it's fun. You are just like 
nothing is surprising me. I just feel very similar to how you were like, yeah, I know I've already said this, but like, of course you do pottery and ceramics. Like, of course you spearfish. Like, this is exactly your personality. And so at the beginning of the podcast and something that you had mentioned was like leveraging like PTSD. And I've had a lot of people talk about their own mental health on the podcast. Is there like a bit about navigating any of that, that you can say to this whole journey about like changing fields, changing focus, because especially at the end of the school year, I feel like a lot of people are having those considerations. Their internship is ending, their program is ending, they're graduating. What now? And I also think that like, People have been through shit. So if you're like open to it, is there anything about that that you can speak on? Yeah, I, I think so. Okay. So I suppose in terms of PTSD, I'll, I'll spare you the graphic details, but uh, in a nutshell, I was shot in the chest and almost died as a part of a random act of gang violence when I was an undergrad. And the physical wounds healed just fine. I mean, yeah. as fine as they can when you're shot in the lung, right? Yeah, I remember hearing about this tangentially and was like in shock for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, it was it was shocking to me too, believe it yeah, or not. I'm sure it was. <laughs> but the physical wounds, they, they healed in time, but the incident sort of left me with this loss of trust in the good of people. Yeah, and, as it would. And I remember, you know, there was a point that I was... I was sort of on this edge of either letting it consume me and just being sucked into like this fear and paranoia, like, like, oh, I'm never going to go out on the street again. I'm never going to go out into the world. I'm going to stay hidden and into myself in a place that feels safe. Or I can take this experience and use it to galvanize me and push me forward. Mm -hmm. And I remember there was like a very clear conversation that happened in my own head about whether or not it was the right move to be brave mm. and whether or not I could find courage to move through it and take the lessons, no matter how painful they were, and use them to help me. And this was actually one of the reasons that brought me to my interest in figuring out how people think mm. and wanting to know how we can design a world that changes it. Whoa. Um, because there was a person that tried to kill me and I wanted to know why. Mm. And maybe not in the local sense as in like, why did you person try to hurt me? But why is it that people make the decisions that they do? Yeah. And what is it about the world that causes people to be in situations that causes them to make the decisions that they do? Yeah. So all of these factors that happen out in society that put people in places that they make decisions. Essentially, big picture systems thinking. Yeah. And that was the experience that galvanized my desire to study it and then try to build a world that changed it. Yeah. And so in addition to changing the framing of how I wanted to go about my academic career, it also helped me reprioritize things in my life that I thought mattered and things in my life that didn't. Good full so, circle moment for social media. <laughs> I realized that I wanted to focus on first pro-social change. Yeah. I wanted to do things that helped in the big picture and I wanted my work to be directly applicable. Right. And so this is a theme that, as I've mentioned before, mm -hmm. at times when I found that my work was not directly applicable or causing tangible change, that's when I've made moves. And so once I was able to recognize these values, it's sort of served as a guide for me. Yeah. And so I suppose in many ways, and it's, it's sort of crazy to say it, but 
in many ways, this traumatic experience has actually been a positive for me in the long run because it's allowed me to understand my priorities, my values, and the big questions that I find keep me up at night. Yeah. And that is how I've sort of directed myself in terms of career and also how I direct myself in terms of how I navigate questions of loneliness, mm -hmm. questions of work-life balance. I can circle back to these ideas that I've learned about and thought about over time to say, I remember what it was like to almost die. And because of that, I know that the things that matter to me are my friends, are my family, are causing change in a pro-social way and living a life that I enjoy and, and brings meaning to me. Right. And so I can kind of circle back to these themes and ideas in a way that makes PTSD and the fear and the trauma that I experienced serve me in a really positive way. Yeah. And what you're talking about, I mean, at least in a research sense, you know, I've seen it described as like post-traumatic growth. Like this is very much a thing. And I think that you know, first off, I'm really glad that you shared that. Thank you for sharing it. And I'm glad that I've asked about it now because I really feel like it wraps everything together and sort of like tells this narrative of, you know, people, everyone has, I hate to be like so cliche, but you know, I'm probably a cliche person, but like everyone does have a journey and a story. And I just feel like it can be really easy to get caught up in that, but that can also be where we find like our greatest interests. Like when I think about my own interest in like stress in the immune system, I don't really talk about this on the podcast. You may know this somewhat, but like I had a really hard childhood, <laughs> like a very stressful, like I was truant and I like joke about that, but like you would see me be late to like every single class. Like I had AP Gov at like 11 o'clock every day. There is a kid. Every time I was late, I would like get to school at 11, would like make some comment like, thanks for joining us. And I'd be like, dude, you have no idea like what's going on in my life. And like in high school, you don't like I don't blame this person, but it's like very on brand for them. But like I had a very stressful time and I just remember being interested in stress, how people cope with it and not so much interested in like covering childhood trauma in a psych way, but I was pre-med. I did a pre-med degree because I was thinking about med school and I just remember wanting to be tangential to that. And so using my own experience of like high stress and some other things that I don't talk about in this podcast from growing up, it's like that propelled me as well to think about at least in a research sense. So I think on multiple spectrums of, hey, I had a tough childhood or hey, I had this like very stark, traumatic thing happen, we can pull things from our life experience to help us navigate some of the uncertainty, some of the whatever, in a way that does promote growth, in a way that it doesn't have to be as scary, in a way that we like learn to trust our own decisions, not to like really full circle it with like trusting decisions. But I feel like I trust myself more because I've let myself experiment with the uncertainty, right? Because I get better at making the right choices for me as I go, which is why I feel like it's part of growing up too. Yeah, that's a, a really great insight. I'm, I'm happy you shared that. I just like, you know what? I feel like I've been talking to you and you just seem so analytical and so smart. I'm like, holy shit. But I just made you be like, wow, that's really interesting. And now I'm like, I'm smart too. That's cool. <laughs> that's cool. I can do that too. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes into the narratives, right? That we tell ourselves yeah. and leveraging our own narrative. And also acknowledging that your narrative can change and that there are yeah. things in your life that maybe are unexpected, that maybe are uncertain, that maybe are unfortunate. Yeah. But they are part of your narrative. Yeah. And it's okay. Everybody has things that they struggle with. Yeah. And 
I really feel like we went really meta with it. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I think that it's interesting because as we're thinking about like this in a meta sense and it bringing it all back to things in the beginning, I'll give you a second to think about it because we can sort of veer into how I wrap up episodes, which might be where you're landing with some of these thoughts anyways. But I end all my episodes with final thoughts. And these are like takeaways. These are like, let's put it all together. Like what should people remember? What should their takeaway message be from this? And I think that these like themes of narrative and the things running through your mind. I mean, what would your final thoughts be? I suppose just this theme of openness, Mm -hmm. this theme of narrative and openness that we tell ourselves these stories, but the stories are made up. The story of who I am and what I'm going to do next are only that they're just stories Mm -hmm. and being open to allowing that story to change to acknowledge that the story may not be the story that we wanted. Mm -hmm. We may not be in the field that we want right now. We may be unhappy. We may be lonely. We may lack social support. We may have PTSD. Whatever it is, it may not be the narrative that we wanted it to be. But through introspection, through constant learning, and putting ourselves in a place where we can be open to change, we can move from what may be a dark place Mm -hmm. to a much brighter one. And we can do it in whatever way we want. It doesn't have to be the prescribed narrative that the world tells us. And it doesn't have to be the prescribed narrative that we tell ourselves. Mm -hmm. It can be something completely new and completely unexpected. I love this. I think I like that we've gone so deep in meta. I think part of it probably has to do that like when I think about it, I guess I've known you most of my life and you're like one of the only guests that I've like had on that I've known this long. But also I thought of two cliches that I'm just going to use as my final thoughts and just like stick with me on it. A quote that I regularly use in this podcast and something I often reference is Hamilton. The reason being thinking about narratives. I often think about the quote, who lives, who dies, who tells our story, right? And when I think about that and the other line of history has its eyes on you, I hate to be, I'm so cliche. I actually, I guess I don't hate to. Um, This is who I am. But I think about that a lot about like impact. And what does what I do mean and how I treat people? What does that mean? And the relationships that I hold and maintain and what does that mean? And I think that, we can sometimes judge uncertainty unfairly. We think about uncertainty being like a failure. I must be uncertain because I've done something wrong. I haven't figured something out. Why am I uncertain? All of these like internal judgments. And so just on that line of thinking, I guess I would say like, let's not judge the uncertainty. The uncertainty is like decide how to move forward with it. The other thing that I was thinking about, I can't remember exactly what you said, but it was something along the lines of like, about what we deserve. What was it that you were saying about that? Like we, oh, I can't remember. Because the quote that came to my mind is we, (laughs) we accept the love we think we deserve. I was going to like make this whole thing about like, I think it had to do with like success and the things that we achieve. Like we don't need to like really limit ourselves in terms of where we can go or like if we're unhappy, what next? Like anything is next. Mm -hmm. And I keep saying I hate to be cliche, but I know that that's who I am, but it feels silly but I don't think that it is. I just think that it's a theme that really rings true. So I guess that's what I would want people to remember. I mean, this episode went so deep. Like, it's really hard to pick pieces. I love it. It's great. No, I know. It's really, I think, a fabulous perspective to think about uncertainty as simply a state and not a value assessment. Mm -hmm. Because when you do that, you acknowledge that 
it can be changed and it is just, it just is. It's okay. It's just, everybody is in uncertain spots. And in many ways it can be a sign of a really good thing. Yeah. It could mean that you are on your way to something unexpected and wonderful. And that you're paying attention to yourself. Like just being able to recognize that like, I need to change or something is off is like, oh, you're paying attention to like cues and like things you like and dislike. Like that's a positive. Yeah. Um, that is definitely comes from my past as a therapist. Not using judgments or should statements is like one big thing I've, I've taken away. Like there isn't somewhere we should be or something that we should be doing better or, oh, I should have done this. I should have. No, that doesn't really get us anywhere. Right. Those judgment statements. So I don't know. Are you surprised that I was a therapist? Um, <laughs> It's a good question. That's hilarious that you a, had to think I guess so a hard. Bit. Really? Yeah, I guess a, I guess a little well, bit. Well, I did I, hate it and stop, so. <laughs> I think, <laughs> hmm, I guess I was a little bit surprised that you were a therapist, but yeah, only too. because I thought that you were going to go into like marketing or something. <laughs> like I thought you were just going to go into like some, or like, I don't know, it'd be a, a news broadcaster, which, hey, I mean, you're hosting a podcast. That's right? really funny. Well, I was going to go. Do you remember after high school? I thought I was going to NYU for film. Oh yeah, yeah. I do remember that? So that's probably where that like thought process came from. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I guess I never really thought about you as a therapist. I know, but at the same time, anybody can be a therapist or yeah. anything else. Yeah. It just depends on I, you know, <laughs> if you want it. I really think it's hilarious though that like. Me being a podcaster, not a surprise whatsoever. Like me being a therapist, yeah, a little bit. I just love that because I think that podcasting was something that helped me realize I didn't like being a therapist because I know I like talking to people. And so for a long time, I was like, why don't I like this? Like I'm helping people. Like, why don't I enjoy that? What does that mean about me that I don't like this role helping people? And the podcast helped me realize that I can like talking and interacting with people without also needing and or wanting to help them at the same time. Like I like to ask questions about people, which is why I'm a researcher, but I don't like to be part of the change process. Like that stresses me out. So I think it all adds up. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of similar to, I mean, I suppose I came into grad school knowing that I was not interested in being an academic, but being a grad student has reaffirmed and solidified the problems that I see with academia. I was going to say it just reaffirmed why you hate the academy. (laughs) Right. And so it's sort of like, I guess I get it. It's like you have some sort of idea of what the world is like. And then once you're thrown into it, you see many different sides of it. Yeah. And with academia specifically, I saw what I had originally seen as like, oh, this institution for knowledge and good. And then when I got into it, I was like, "Hmm, well, (laughs) it's sort of just an industrial complex. It's (laughs) so relatable. Feeding into, you know, just a world of working as hard as you can yeah, and writing grants and sacrificing your own life Mm -hmm. for something that ultimately may not matter. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm still disillusioned. I guess I'm not disillusioned. I still want to go the academic route. I don't know what will happen. I'm still in grad school. I know I'm a fifth year. I'm going to be a seventh year. It's fine. I still, I don't know. I'm motivated by the potential for change Uh, in the way this podcast has made small change in certain spaces. I'm like, hmm, like, Maybe that there is a role for me in a greater space. So, Rob, 
we have to wrap up because we have gone a little bit over time and I really respect your time. But as I said at the beginning, I'm really bad at time management. So I wanted to start by saying thank you for being on the podcast and for catching up after nine years. It's been a pleasure to have you. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Of course. Absolutely. And I know that you don't have social media, so people can't connect with you. Do you have any last bits of advice if anyone's really resonated with what you said or resources? Like, were there things that you read or like books that you're like, this book is like a good book. Mm. It's okay if you don't. I suppose I would tell people to give a really deep thought into what the narratives they tell themselves are. Mm -hmm. How much of them are true? How much of them have to be true? And what about them aren't serving them? This is where my whole we accept the love we think we deserve idea came from. Oh, yeah? Yes, because it's like talking about the narratives we tell ourselves. What are those narratives? What is the truth to those narratives? How do those narratives serve us? Mm -hmm. What is the truth not? It's like, I think that my thought around all of it is like your narrative can almost be what you want it to be. Think about the narratives that exist, the narratives that you want to exist, and maybe bridging yourself from what is to what you want. I feel like this has just been like the deepest fucking episode I've ever made, and I'm almost thrown off by it, but like in a good way. This is like what, episode 72, and like you almost have me speechless. How does it feel? I appreciate it. I think it's good. I mean, I'm not surprised in the slightest because I suppose a lot of it comes from this idea of celebrating your own idiosyncrasies as opposed Mm -hmm. to throwing them away for some prescribed path. Yeah. And the reason it doesn't surprise me is because you and I, for all constant memory, mm-hmm. are two people with some of the most, we, we are two of the most idiosyncratic people yes. that I have ever met. <laughs> and so it doesn't surprise me in the slightest that we've come to a, a point yeah. where we've discussed accepting idiosyncrasies and redefining your narrative Mm -hmm. and accepting uncertainty because these are consistent themes and these have been consistent themes since you and I have gotten to know each other. And maybe, maybe that's it, right? Maybe that's why we were friends. Like most of middle school and high school is like secretly that theme was looming in the background, but mostly I was just obnoxious and annoying to you. But now we've come full (laughs) circle with it. I was a truly in high school really should have been on ADHD meds. I mean, God bless my teachers. They did the best they could. I did the best I could, but there was a lot of energy there. There was a lot. I was annoying and it's okay. I was 16. Well, I don't know. I, I guess I don't oh, agree. Thank you. That's I don't so know, really. nice. I just, I don't think, but I also have a very, I mean, beyond what we've discussed in this podcast, sure. I've got like a very much broader view of what I think society should be and shouldn't be. True. And I really don't like, for instance, the education systems that we have. I don't like the way that people are shoved into roles and told how to behave and how not to behave. And so I actually completely disagree that people should be medicated to fit some specific norm or that people should be shaped in order to be defined in one way. I actually completely disagree. I think it's a way that could be emphasized and used for your own power. I actually do completely agree with you. It's just like usually the feedback I get from people I haven't seen in a long time, like we'll joke about it. I also feel like you've like, I don't know, cured my childhood trauma. Thank you. I guess today's theme, the other theme is acceptance and just being whatever you are and like, that's okay. But unfortunately, I do have to wrap up our recording today. So Rob, thank you for the millionth time for being a guest on this podcast. Listeners, thank you for continuing to listen to the podcast that I started during quarantine and I will talk to you all next week. Hashtag bye.
you can connect with Dear Grad Student on Twitter at Dear Grad Student, on Instagram at Dear Grad Student Pod, and on Facebook at Dear Grad Student. Everything that you need for the podcast can be found on the podcast website at deargradstudent.com. If you're looking for merch, you can go to the website, click merch in the menu at the top, or look me up on Redbubble. If you just want to listen to me ramble online, you can find me on Twitter at Alana underscore Gloger. That's E-L-A-N-A underscore G-L-O-G-E-R. And of course, everything for this podcast is made possible by the amazing podcast patrons. If you want to help out, you can join them at patreon.com slash deargradstudent for one, three, five, or $10 a month. If you want to help out the podcast in other ways, you can leave a review. Best place for that is Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or Google Podcasts. Be sure that you are following Dear Grad Student on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and wherever you find your other favorite shows to be sure that you are notified when each episode goes live. As a reminder, all resources and links mentioned in today's episode can be found in the description. And until next time, warmest regards, best wishes, sincerely, Alana. Alana.